0: Thank you very much team thanks for leading us again in worship and um, yeah I I also want to pray I just kind of feel like I can't help but pray before I preach myself so I'm just going to do that as well if you'll join me again thank you Lord for um, yeah the opportunity to come here and to and to share your word and to um, look at another story of your son Jesus and the way that he lived and the way that he um, uh, dealt with people in his life in um, in gracious ways in loving ways in in ways that were um, you know really uh, remarkable and um, Today, God, we just come with a sense of um, you know needing your spirit to help us today to to minister to us to um, help us to help us to see the truth in your word and to help us to to see, um, yeah, just the the value of what we're going to look at today. And so we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, so uh, last week we started off our Advent series called The Table Series. And a bit of a funny name for a Christmas series, you might think. But I introduced to you this idea last week that every time we gather together in in the month of December, we're going to be looking at one of the stories out of the Gospels. Uh, where Jesus sits down to a table and eats a meal with people, right? And I know this is not, you know, your normal Advent series that covers the Christmas narrative like we heard this morning and you, we draw out things from there. But the idea came to me as I was reflecting on all the times I sit down to a table during the Christmas season um, and, and eat a good meal. And I, as, as you look through the Gospels, what you, what you realise is that this is something Jesus did a lot. And Christmas is one of those rare times now that we are actually uh, doing this uh, with intention, that we prepare a meal or that we're invited to someone's place or that we sit down with our family and every family member is at the table um, and we share the same food, right? And so uh, this is something that um, happened a lot in Jesus' day. It was an important part of Jewish culture, the the idea of sharing um, a meal together and, um, you know, no doubt we've been invited to uh, certain events on Christmas Day, Boxing Day. Maybe it's a work Christmas lunch or a party or something along those lines. You may have already been to a few already and there might be more to come. But um, I figured as, as we're, in, we're a group of people who are intentionally trying to figure out what does it mean to um, be like Jesus and we want to be kind of like these these apprentices to Jesus and his way of life, the way he lived Um, I thought, you know what, there's probably a number of things we can observe from the times that he ate with people. And so um, Jesus even said of himself in Luke chapter 7 verse 35, the son of man came eating and drinking and he was accused of being a a, a drunkard and and a glutton. Um, because of you know the people that he mixed with, and people would call him that to try and deter him from the way that he would mix with people who were who were seemingly unrighteous, and this sort of thing was going on in his ministry. You can see it was significant, um, a significant part of his ministry providing food for people. You know, for the masses, he feeds four thousand and five thousand at different times. He. He, when he's invited to someone's house, doesn't matter who it is, he goes and he accepts the invitation. And so there's lots of stories we get to look at. We're not even going to be able to cover them all this month. But um, last week we looked at the story of Levi the tax collector and how Jesus calls him out of his tax collector's booth, out of his, this way of life that was seemingly um, you know, not the way that God wanted someone to live and calls him to come and follow him and to come and be his apprentice and then Levi is so shocked by this and, and, and all of his tax collector friends and, and um, other sinner friends that he has gather together at, at Levi's house and Levi puts on a banquet because Jesus is coming and Jesus mixes with this motley crew of people and you know, would, would have sent shockwaves through the town of Capernaum. What is the rabbi doing with those people? You know, it just wasn't, um, it it broke down some of those boundaries. And so that was a beautiful story. I love that story. And today we're going to open up Luke's gospel again. And this time in chapter seven, if you've got a Bible on your phone or or, um, or, or the book uh, itself, you're welcome to open up there. We're going to see this time that Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's house for dinner. And of course, Jesus accepts the invitation. And um, it was probably a, a fairly common thing for a Pharisee um, or, you know, a religious leader in the Jewish community to, you know, make a point of inviting the well-known travelling rabbi or, or teacher to come to their house and, you know, put on a bit of a meal and, um, and, and make an event of it. And one of the things that I was that, that I was learning this week was that when the rabbi comes to your house for dinner, um, is that it becomes acceptable for uninvited guests to come as well, right? This was kind of like a, an unwritten rule, maybe. maybe it was written, I'm not sure. But what I'm, what I'm finding is that anyone else from the community was able to come along and listen into the conversation. Even if they weren't able to get a seat at the table, their, their houses kind of had these like rooms that might have been open to the street, you know, and someone could just gather and listen, and, and, and to the Jewish community, this would have been a pretty interesting thing. You know, wow, I wonder what this well-known rabbi is going to say to our community leader. And what the, what's the conversation going to hold? What are we going to be able to glean from this? You know, this is the type of situation that would happen. And so this was a public meal. And what we'll see is that a woman... Who would normally be rejected from attending a meal at the Pharisee's house, no less rejected from interacting with the rabbi, someone as you know as holy as that, um, actually takes the opportunity. You know, she must have known about this idea that, oh, gee, I could go and you know have a listen to this. It's a rare opportunity. She actually takes the opportunity to show up in order to express her gratitude to Jesus. Maybe it's not the first time she's heard some of his teaching um, as he's taught by the beach in Capernaum. So the story we're going to read through is of the occasion when Jesus is anointed at the table on his feet by the sinful woman, right? This is, she's an unnamed woman, not sure who she is, but it seems as though everyone else in her town knew who she was, right? And so just to save any confusion for us as well, this is a little note um, as I was flicking through the Gospels, looking at the stories of when Jesus is anointed, Um, This is the first of two times that it happens in Jesus' ministry, right? That he's anointed, someone pours out perfume on his feet, right? And it happens in similar settings and even happens in, in two different Simon's homes, okay? So it's easy to get confused. I thought, look, let me just clear it up for you. One happens here in Capernaum, in Simon the Pharisee's home. Right by an unnamed woman and is recorded only in Luke's gospel. That's the one we're looking at today. This happens at the start of Jesus' ministry. Then the second one happens um, towards the the, toward the end of Jesus' ministry in Simon the leper's home in Bethany. Right, and the second anointing is carried out by Mary, the, um, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, and it's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and John. Right, not recorded in Luke. So. There you go. I just thought, hey, that might be worth going home and checking. You know, Jesus' teaching at each event has a little bit of, um, you know, it has a different focus and particularly the one that we're looking at today is the, is the first one out of the um, Gospel of Luke. So let's start our way through it. We'll pause at different, different sections and, um, and have a little talk about it. So starting at verse 36 in Luke chapter 7. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And I love this because, um, you know, we, we often think, oh, man, Jesus, you know, he just loved to mix with the, the ungodly and the unclean and the unrighteous, and then he's actually going to mix at the Pharisee's house. Who would have, that would have been like, that wouldn't have caused, no, no one would have batted an eyelid, you know. <laughs> that was like, oh, yeah, that's pretty normal. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Right? He kind of m- m- mumbles that to himself, maybe under his breath, maybe he just thinks that. You know? He says to himself, if this man were a prophet, if he was really you know, close to God, you know, a a good rabbi, a good prophet of God's people. Man, he would know the kind of person that is approaching him, that is touching him, right? And so... Let's stop here and have a think about this. We learned a little bit about the Pharisees last week, but just to remind you, these are the guys who are seen as the religious leaders in the Jewish community. They've shaped their lives around this idea that the only way to get close to God is to separate yourself from anyone and anything that might contaminate your righteousness. (laughs) You know, Um, they've shaped their lives around the idea um, that uh, your appearance of righteousness is important, um, you know, or, or that you know they want to be righteous, but but they made an emphasis on the way that you you were perceived by others. Their goal for living was to be sure that they carried out all of the rules and regulations of the Old Testament, all six hundred and thirteen laws, and then the interpretation of those laws on top of that. Um, you know they they did their best to, to as I said last week cross all their t's dot all their i's. This was the way that they lived. They didn't want anything to do with someone who seemed ignorant of what God would require of them. They didn't want anything to do with someone like this uh, this woman. Right? They genuinely thought this was the only way to please God. And so the consequence of this kind of living. Is that there then became an endless list of things that a person needed to do or or did not need to do um, in order to find salvation and to draw near to God. Right? So this was the this was the thinking. And what ended up happening is that the wrong things start getting emphasized, right? And we know this to be true in church as well. If, if people start saying, hey, if you, if you want to be close to God, you've got to tick this box. Make sure that you read your Bible every morning, you know, and if you don't, then you're not close to God. You know, that's, this is a, a law that people come up with, a rule, right? Or, um, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't gamble. We tick these boxes and we say, that's how you get close to God, but what ends up happening is that as long as you can tick those boxes, oh, then you must be fine, you know. And um, the, 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 the religious thought of the day was as long as you had a good reputation, as long as your life looked right, as long as you had a clean record, publicly put together life, um, you know, as long as you could marry up to the rules and regulations, then you must be close to God, you must be living a good and righteous life. And this did two things. The first thing that it did was that people could transform their appearance without ever transforming their hearts? They could transform the outside, you know, like that um, when Jesus says, "You know, you clean the outside of the cup, but inside it's unclean." You know, it's like a whitewashed tomb, and this was this was a consequence of that way of thinking and that that um, that thought. And this is a trap that the church falls into over and over again as well. And we need to be cautioned of this. They could appear close to God and full of life on the outside, you know, when in fact they were far from God and they were dying on the inside. This was, this was, a, this was a consequence, you know. This is one of the things that happened when that, that religious thought entered in. The second thing that this way of thinking did was that it created a false barrier between the people who were not living that outwardly clean life and those who were. And it created a barrier between people who, who um, you know, seemed to be unrighteous, didn't have their life together and, and God, right? It created a social barrier, right? It was a false barrier because we know that there, there was no barrier, right? Because of what Jesus has done. But um, anyone like this woman who had li- likely lived a life of prostitution in the town, it doesn't say that but the, the implication is there, Um, they were naturally outcast, rejected from the religious leaders, rejected from the faith community, probably rejected from their own family if their family were pious and wanted to have that good appearance that they had things all together. And so this explains a little bit of that attitude of the Pharisee. Man, this guy was really a prophet. He'd know who was touching him, what kind of woman that she is, right? And so the Pharisees are shocked because Jesus is not reacting the way that they would expect him to. He's not rejecting the unclean woman from his presence. He's not telling her to go away and instead he just lets this continue. You could imagine the feeling at the table, this public meal, the rabbi, the well-known teacher, the one who's um, you know, preach the Sermon on the Mount, and, and everyone's amazed at his authority. And he's here sitting at the table at the religious leader's home, and the sinful woman from the town, every, who everyone knows about, is there. And she's uh, cleaning his feet with her tears, with her hair, pouring expensive perfume on his feet. This is just um, quite a moment, I think. <laughs> and Jesus says to Simon, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said, kind of like with a little bit of contempt maybe, tell me, rabbi, come on, what have you got to say about this? Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, right, which I did a little bit of math. A denari was about a, a day's wages for a labourer. Maybe we might say 200 bucks today. And so if you do the math, 500 of those is $100,000, right? And the other person owed owed the moneylender 50 denarii, right, about $10,000. So this is sort of what we're talking about, no small sum of money. Neither of them had money to pay him back. So he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. but whoever has been forgiven little loves little now there's a little bit of explanation to be done here what's happening here is that jesus is drawing a comparison between the way that the pharisees treated him as a guest and the way that the sinful woman treated him right it was customary in the day if you were hosting someone at your place you'd do you make sure three things so three things happened for that guest when they come to your house and probably especially if the, if it was the local, if it was, sorry, not the local rabbi, this, this well-distinguished teacher that's coming. The first thing was that they were given a place to wash their feet, right, because if you're reclining at the table in that day, your feet are likely to be, you know, in pretty close proximity to other people. It's been, been a dirty day walking around teaching everyone, so you probably want to keep your, your, your feet clean. And maybe even a servant of the household would have done that for you, wash your feet for you. That's pretty pretty common. The second thing is that um, the host would welcome you with just a customary kiss, you know, kind of like a g'day, like a, like a welcome, a handshake. This was pretty normal. And the the final thing, the third thing, was that you'd be offered a little bit of oil, just some ordinary oil, freshen up your face a little bit before you have to sit down at the table and talk to some people. And so Jesus says, you haven't done any of this for me, but from the moment this woman has been here, what did she do? She's been cleaning his feet with her tears, you know, She's been um, wiping them with her hair and for a Jewish lady to let her hair down in public was like a bit of a no-no. You know, there's just this sense of she didn't care anymore. She's come to express her gratitude to, to Jesus for who he is and what he's done. She's been kissing his feet and she's poured out expensive perfume on his feet as well. Normally you'd, you'd put the perfume on their head, but out of humility, she said, no, your, your feet are good enough. We'll put them on your feet. Simon, do you see this woman? That was the question he asked. He's probably seen her a few times before, but not as someone who's repentant, not as someone who's coming with humility, not as someone with a sense of gratitude. Does this look like the actions of someone who is unaware or ignorant of their reputation? Does this look like the actions of someone who is not willing to welcome God into their life as a guest? I wonder if Jesus thought, I'm more of a guest in her life than I have been in your home today. (laughs) I feel like it's taken me a couple of, um, or, or quite a while to just sort of peel back the layers of this story, think about it. In, uh, for, for what's actually happening and to really get a sense for what I believe God's trying to say to us through it. You know, how do we make application of this? And um, I think one of the things we can take from this is that if you're not aware of how great your debt of, the debt of your sin is before God, then you're not going to be very aware of how valuable God's grace and forgiveness is to you. Like if there's no sense in which you understand God's forgiven you and if there's a sense in which you you, you actually don't have that much debt, then Jesus doesn't actually mean that much to you. <laughs> you know, there's no sense in which you'd need to treat him with any sort of respect or kindness, right? That's a little bit of what's happening here. The Pharisee was unaware of his debt, which made him unaware of the forgiveness he needed. He didn't feel like he had any debt and he was living quite well. He lived. He was ticking all the boxes, you know. He was clean, and it resulted in little love for Jesus. The sinful woman, she's well aware of her debt, well aware of how much she'd been forgiven as well. Maybe she'd heard Jesus' teaching before and had a sense that, wow, this guy is showing me that it's not up to me to live a righteous life. It's up to what God has done for me to make me righteous and it resulted in much love for Jesus. This is a saved woman coming to show gratitude to God for what he's done for her. The sinful woman knew how great her debt was, but even more significant was that she'd come to a realisation that the only way to be free from her debt was to place her faith in Jesus. Right? The only way to find peace between God and herself was to recognise that she was poor in spirit, right? that she had nothing to stand on, right, before God, accept his grace, accept this, um, this teaching that she's, she's heard from Jesus that if, if, you come, if, you, if you're weary and burdened and you come to him, you know, he'll, he'll, his burden is easy, his yoke is light. And as she comes to that realisation, she's overwhelmed with a sense of love for Jesus, what he's accomplished for her that she could not have done by herself, when she hears that Jesus is at Simon the Pharisee's home. What a perfect opportunity to express her gratitude. At this point, the thoughts of others in her community that have shaped her life and understanding of herself, they're of no more concern to her. She'll break every cultural boundary if she has to. She needs to go and show Jesus how much love she has for him because of the freedom he's afforded her with the good news that her debt of sin is not something she needs to cover up. She's learned that she's been forgiven much and her actions are an expression of this. Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven, not because of what she's done in coming and pouring out her expensive perfume, not because she's come and wiped the, the, the savior's feet clean, you know, with her tears, not because she's expressed that. Um, this is, that's actually the, the, the aftermath of being forgiven. <laughs> you know, that's actually the gratitude of being forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Um, I wonder where we might place ourselves in the story. I wonder if we would think that we're, you know, too far from God, you know, maybe the, in, in a lot of these stories, there's the people who are just ragtag, unclean, you know, according to, every, according to the religious community, they're not good enough to be in God's presence. I wonder where you see yourself. You might see yourself in that, in that way. The things you've done in your life, the, you know, it, it doesn't look put together. The sin that you're carrying with yourself, um, man, it just, uh, that, that means that I can't come to God. I couldn't do what this woman does. And today, the good news is that you can if you place your faith in Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross. When he went to the cross, that was the time where he cancelled the debt, right? So coming to that acknowledgement that man, none of us could pay the debt for ourselves. None of us could come, to, could come to God and say, hey, I've actually lived pretty good, God. I'm okay. I haven't done that much bad stuff. It doesn't matter how big or small the debt is. We all need Jesus and and his his debt canceling death on the cross for ourselves. And until we come to that realization, we've got no no realization no no recognition to come to him and to say, "Yes, I need you," and I'm and I'm thankful that you've done that for me. Others of us might already know this, man. We we really knew that we needed God. I don't know. I, as I was looking at this, I was reflecting on the time when I first realized. Far out, I am so like in need of Jesus. (laughs) I so need him in my life to change me. Every time I'm left to my own devices, I go down the wrong path. Right. I don't know if you've ever if you've ever felt that and the weight of that burden of sin. Man, I just I'm not good. (laughs) You know, there's nothing good in me except for, wow, Jesus died on the cross and he said that I can I can receive that death, you know, for me. And I can receive his resurrection. I can receive new life in him. It's at that point where you go, wow, I'm I'm thankful. And maybe our response today is is a response of thankfulness, a response of gratitude, a response of, Lord, I'm so thankful for your death on the cross. You know, where, where where you're so thankful, you feel that burden lifted. Man, it doesn't matter how life has looked so far for you. From today, you could start a new life with him. Others of us might need to respond from the perspective of the Pharisee. Maybe, maybe we've sort of thought, man, I'm, I'm actually doing okay. I've got, a, I've got my life together. Things seem to be going quite well. I tick all the boxes. Hopefully that's good enough. But actually you need to realize that um, every one of us has a debt. Sure, your debt might be a bit smaller than someone else's. You know, The consequences of your sin might not have carried out the way it does in other people's lives, but every single one of us have this debt and you need to come to that realisation that without Jesus, we've got not a leg to stand on before God. So that's another way to respond. A final way maybe to respond is that um, there might be someone in your life where you just think, man, they're so far from God. They're not even close you know, and, and I don't know why they're making the choices that they're making and there's that sense in which you just think, ah, oh, they, they seem ignorant. What are they doing, you know? Maybe, maybe some people in, in Capernaum thought that of that sinful woman. She's messing up her life. Why is she doing this? And actually she wasn't that far from God. She just needed to realise that Jesus has paid the debt. He's cancelled the debt for us. He's paid it all for us when he went to the cross, and so um, if that's us, maybe, maybe you know, and, I'm, and, and you've, you've got people in your life like that where you wonder, gee, what are they, what are they doing? Why aren't they close to God? They, I thought they knew about who Jesus was and what he's done for them. The best thing we can do is pray for them, love them, receive them at every opportunity that we can, express God's love to that person. So how are you going to respond? Respond. What's your response today? Where do you fit into the picture? We've got to respond to God's word and consider what it means for our life. Let's, let's pray and I'll invite the, the band to come up and um, lead us as well. If you want prayer for anything today, prayer in, in, a, in assisting to respond to the message, however it is for you, um, I'm very happy to pray with you during the song, after the service, message me during the week. You know, if you want to send me a message on Facebook, text me, email me, write me a letter, whatever, we need to respond to, to the Word and we need to be able to do that together. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for the example of Jesus, that he's willing to just um, just accept that woman, uh, you know, with, with all of her reputation, with all of her past and thank you that um, the good news that, uh, that Jesus provides for her um, freed her from the life that she was living, freed her from the weight of that sin. Pray that that would happen for us if we need it today. I pray for um, those of us who might, might not really feel that we have any need for Jesus. But I pray that you would help us to understand that without him, We've got no foot to stand, no, no foundation to stand upon. Well, will we receive the foundation of Jesus Christ, the cornerstone of our lives, that we'd be able to just say, He's the only one um, that matters. He's the only one who can, who can give me right standing. His, his life, death, and resurrection can, be, can give me right standing before God. Pray that we'd receive that today in your precious name. Amen.